Thank you very much. Wow, this is an amazing room. You didn't lie. You didn't undersell. Uh, welcome, Croeso. Uh, thanks for having us. Um, Interfilm, Interfilm Cymru. Look at this. 15,000 film clubs across Wales. You know, 15,000 film clubs a year, 20,000 uh, make, people making films, 20,000 a year, number of teachers trained, 15,000 a year, young people engaged, over one and a half million. So number of film clubs in the UK is 15,000 and there is from five to 19 year olds. That's into film, amazing. Getting to, I had to break into a cinema to get into film when I was a kid in Hollyhead, you know. Um, and uh, BAFTA Cymru, 25 years, thanks for hosting this event. 25 years, 2nd of October. We can all come, that's what you said. We all got tickets to the BAFTAs, apparently, um, which is fantastic. And also, it's, it's a, uh, all the great work that you're doing with Swans University, and I think this is just sort of paving the way. Why am I here tonight? Um, I, I became an ambassador for Interfilm because I wrote a film. I wrote a film, I was in a film, and I made it in Swansea. But it's not, that, it's not just that. Why did I become into Film Ambassador? Because at a point in my career where I just got sort of frustrated with my greedy little dream, I then went into education. And I ran the creative curriculum of uh, some special needs schools and uh, with young people referral units in London. And we did a lot of creative work. And for a few years, I kind of put my sort of uh, ambition into the work and ideas of these young people. And, uh, and then after sort of eight years, I sort of balanced it with my career, I then got back to my greedy little dream. Um, but it was working with young people and their ideas that kind of gave me the confidence to think that I could go and write and be in a film. They, they, so, it's more a thank you than giving back being an ambassador for Interfilm. The work that the uh, teachers and lecturers do and the students and the work that's available to you and the support. So it's a joy, it's absolutely cyclical and, it, and that's what's wonderful to do events like this and be part of this amazing charity and a great organisation. But you didn't come here to listen to my story. You came to listen, I don't, I don't know how you introduce Eddie Izzard. Actor, comedian, politician, maverick, gentleman, heart as big as his stamina. I've had the pleasure of working with him in film. I've had the pleasure of working with him on scripts. I've had the pleasure of being in his company and his story is inspiring to anybody who believes they could or they can. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Eddie is on. I don't know what you watched. I don't know what that was. Uh, you working with a bunch of nobodies. Uh, Tom Cruise, George I Clinton. would have chosen a different scene. But anyway. <laughs> no, it's interesting. You, just, you don't know what the hell. You go, oh, because some scenes you do, you go, oh, yeah, I like that. And some scenes you go, yeah, no, no, no. Well, you're very critical. Uh, well, yeah, but I think one should be, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, hugely so. Yeah. So I'm going to take this off. It's going to jingle jangle too much. Yeah. So there has been a love affair with film from an early age. Yeah. Isn't it? Film is the passion. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to act when I was seven. I saw someone um, do a, uh, uh, a play that's called A Boy With His Cart by Christopher Fright. And uh, this guy was getting an amazing reaction, and I thought, I'll do that. Um, it was a year after my mum had died. My mum died when I was lived here, unfortunately. Um, but uh, so that was a rough time. And but I did I did a little uh, play just before that, um, playing a um, a raven actually. So one of my first dramatic things was here in, in Swansea. In Swansea, in because uh, you lived in Uplands, uh, is that right? Well, we went. I went to school in Oak. Oakley House in Uplands, um, which uh, is, it, I think it's quite a, it's a private school, I think. But it's, when we came back from, we were just going to ordinary schools and then uh, mum was dying. So B BP arranged that, because dad worked at the BP refinery, they arranged that, okay, you're going there, they're going to that school. They just sort of set this stuff up because things were not in the And how old place. were you? 
Uh, five. I was five when I started going to school here. And, uh, yeah, and I played a raven for the Christmas um, nativity thing. And... Uh, a jackdaw, we would call it, would it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's what I did. And... Uh, and film was a, a passion early on, or was it acting, or well, the, it, the desire to act? But the interesting thing about the, the playing, playing this raven, I, I played the raven, I got a, a bit of a laugh accidentally, because I didn't know quite what I was doing. And, um, and then, and I didn't really care about it. I wasn't really bothered by it, and then I went back to, then we, I went to school, I carried on, and I went to, uh, when I was six, going on seven, went to Eastbourne, which is where my dad, came from near Hastings, south coast of England. And there I did a, that's, that's why I started doing plays and that's why I saw this play when I was seven. So that I just, it didn't affect me. And then I saw this play and, and it, it did affect me. And I, I think it was because I swapped the affection of the audience with the affection of my mother. That was, that's the, my idea. But, but at seven, I decided I wanted to dr dramatically act. Well, just act, I just thought acting was that. Mm -hmm. And then um, I thought, once I discovered that films existed, because I, I like films on television, uh, did I go to them in the cinema? Probably not that much at that age, but I liked them on the, on the television. And once I realised that people are actually in it, those those were real people. But the idea I, that they were they it was a job, it, yeah. it's something you could do. Yeah, that, that they were real people. And then I thought I want to do that, and, and that was quite locked in. Uh, I'm going to do film at seven, eight years old. Uh, no, that was about 10, 10 11, ten. twelve, I'd say. And you're watching. Eddie's got an encyclopedic knowledge of. Uh, films, westerns, of, yeah, and, and war movies, military movies. And I wouldn't say encyclopedic. I'm somewhat encyclopedic about World War Two, but I know um, I do. I know the films that I know, but I don't know all films. But but the ones I do, I, I just love. You know but, really well. But yeah, and I was breaking into film studios at 15. Can you tell the story? This story, uh, yes. So your relationship with your desire to, to to be in films. How do I get into a film? Yeah is you watch a movie and at well, the end... for most of us, if you're not from um, uh, some sort of film family uh, where or you're living in Hollywood or whatever, that you think, well, how do you get into it? And I suddenly yeah. realised that you could look at credits as they go down at the end of a uh, film on the television. And back in the days, if anyone's old enough to remember the 70s, um, you couldn't stop it, you couldn't freeze it and just copy down names. You just had to wait to the end of the film with a pen and a piece of paper and just scribble anything down. Um, and I do remember at the end of the, um, uh, the, uh, the Battle of Britain, the film The Battle of Britain, at the end they have a big title at the end that says, filmed entirely in location in, location in, in Spain and England and also at Pinewood Studios, Ivor Heath Bucks, and it's a big, <laughs> big, chunky credit there. Yeah. And, and I suddenly realised, write that down, that's a thing. There, there's that's a where studio. I've got to go. Yeah, and, and it must be a place. So I got a map from the shop in town and it had all the alphabetically linked, uh, listed... Um, studios. Studios, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, all the, all the, all the villages, all the towns and villages in the United Kingdom were listed there. And uh, Ivor Heath Bucks was there under I, and it was it was a place. So I got a train to London from the south coast. I got a tube to Uxbridge. I got a bus to Ivor Heath. I got out, and I walked up to the um, front gate and said, "I'm going to be in film." Um, <laughs> and how old are you? I think I was 15, 16. And what did he say? He said, "Fuck off." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I said, "No, no, I've got to be in films. I'm going to. Can I come in and?" <laughs> but this, oh, hang on, this is going to be a story now. And so he just said, "Go away." I, I, I don't think he swore, but he, he said, "Go away." Now, in certain terms, it's a big gabled entrance, the old entrance, which is now blocked. So, fifteen-year-old Eddie Izzard says, "My name's Eddie Izzard. I want to be in films." I didn't even say the name because I don't think it had that much cachet at that point. <laughs> uh, I think my name is Gustav. <laughs> I'm the King of Sweden. I, I didn't say that. I just said, uh, "Hi, I uh, want to." Can I come in? And they went, what? Can I come in? No, I've come here. I need to come in and be in films. And they said no. So, and I went up, then there was a second entrance. There used to be a second entrance. And people walking in that entrance. If they were busy and doing stuff, they just walked in the second entrance. So I thought, I'll do that. Confident and follow. Yeah. I just walked straight, so you got in? Yep, I was in. And 
And I said, it became a piece of stand-up. I said I crept around um, uh, Pimer Studios and waiting for someone to say, hey, a creeping kid, do you want to be in the film? We're doing a film called The Creeping Kid. You could be the creeping kid in The Creeping Kid. And, but I actually wasn't creeping. I, I realize now I was actually moving quite smart, smart uh, at a smart pace. A smart pace. Because I, I, that's what you do. If you're moving at quite a fast pace, then you obviously know what you're doing. No one's going to question you if you're moving at a certain click. Oh, he's, he's going to do the thing with the thing. And so they just let you keep... Then you can't actually take much in, because you keep moving you, you concentrate on moving fast, quickly. <laughs> and you have to go up and go left, and go left, and it's right. <laughs> going down here now, going down there. You also have to be careful, because you don't want to go left into a place where you obviously can't go, otherwise you'd have to go right up to them and, and turn around and go back. And, or you'd have to stop and go, oh, oh, and look at your watch, and then go off in another direction. <laughs> I, think I could have worked it out. Oh, so, was it disappointing once you were there? Well, it, it was because there was, I couldn't work out wh wh what to get into. I got to the Bond stage and I thought, I could hear people talking inside the Bond stage. I thought, are they filming inside the Bond stage? I didn't know how to find out if anyone was filming. I didn't know how to find out anything. But I didn't go in because I thought if they find me, they'll say, what are you doing on the Bond stage? You're not supposed to be here. We're going to throw you out. So, but I sh that should have been my last move. My last move should have been... Dang, dang, dang. You know, but if you knock on the door of a... No one knocks on the doors. You wait for the lights to change. Um, now I know that, but I didn't know that then. So, um, so I, you went home, but it was you'd made the decision. You will end up in films. Yeah, then I broke them. I just kept breaking decisions. So you and Steven Spielberg shared a similar story. There was a similar story. His was more useful because he actually did he do something in the office. He yeah. yeah, he'd work that. Out. He got off the train, a tour, didn't he, and then sneaked into a door and made that office his own, apparently. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so it's, it's a very similar one. Yeah. Uh, his work better, he got more traction earlier on. So you have this desire, you're 15 years old, you know you want to work in film, you know you want to be an actor. Uh, mm. Yes, I just want to do dramatic acting, which I didn't think, I don't, wouldn't use that word, just want to be an actor. Boom, that's it. How, where do we go? How do we start? Who teaches me? No one. And at school, um, I don't know if anyone did acting at school, but it's, it's about being tall and, and I suppose, uh, pretty in a classic boy look pretty kind of thing. You absolutely, know, yeah. The, absolutely. Yeah, the, the pretty boys would be girls. <laughs> if they were tall, tall boys, the girls could be whatever height. But th those two, some teacher would go, okay, you're the lead in this and you're the lead in that, not based on anything in particular. I couldn't work, I think I was trying really hard to be good at school. I think I was going, reading lines, going, you will go, I think I would. <laughs> you were you know, in deep. I didn't know what, how to make it all sparkle, or how to make it kick off the page, I didn't know what to do. So I would have just said the words out of my mouth and pointed. <laughs> And they would say, God, he does a lot of pointing and saying words out of his mouth. That's not what we're after. We're after, I don't know, you know, because I think teachers probably just liked some kids. I, me I remember one kid, he got some roles and he was very relaxed. He didn't really care, which is the thing you need to bottle, mm. the ability to not care, mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the do not give a damn attitude. If you can bottle that and put it into the, and then care a lot, but not look like you're caring. It, 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 it Isn't it the uh, Olivier effortless. and Anthony Hopkins conversation where Anthony Hopkins says, how do you become a great film actor? And Olivier says, you just have to relax in front of the camera. And Anthony Hopkins says, well, how long does that take? He says, about 20 years. <laughs> I, w I, I didn't know that one, but I would agree with that one because I do remember my first, is it my first, first or second film? And uh, um, it was The Secret Agent and Bob Hoskins and I, my first scene was six pages, which is a huge scene. Yeah. And uh, I had to relax. I go, lock it up, okay? This is rolling, rolling, spit, speed, you know, all that stuff. And then you had to go into doing so many scenes where I am just going on and on and on and on and on and on. It just, I had so many words. So I, I'd always wanted lots of words, but not so many all in one go at the first scene. I know, and you have to keep your cool in front of the camera yeah. and everybody else is behind eating sandwiches. And I learned how to do that in, in Treasure Island, actually. Uh, Treasure Island, uh, we were going out quite a late, about week seven or eight of filming, having done five in Dublin, very cold, very cold winter, and then Puerto Rico, very hot uh, January. 
um, just because Puerto Rico is always hot. You were playing Long John Silver. Long, Long John Silver. And they said, we've got to get this scene in. So there's an interesting thing that they said, we've got to get this in, we've got to do it now. We've got 20 minutes. Just put the cameras down here. We'll shoot it in this little clearing here. Boom, June. And I realized there's no time. Don't muck about. Camera's there. And I was so uh, quite tired. And um, it was all, it, it was just do it now. Don't panic. Because <laughs> if you panic, uh, that's not going to make it better. So just be there. And I was already under the skin by that point. So uh, it turned out to be a really nice scene with not much in it. But it looks good because the camera just sits there. And, and I didn't notice by that time, I just sort of oblivious of the camera and oblivious of people. And the only time I've noticed the camera in recent years is in Hannibal when they shot from here. Um, they did a really intensely vertical, diagonally vertical shot. And I could see everything that I could feel everything yeah. the, the focus puller was doing. And I, I said, could you, could you be really still up there? For some reason, I can just feel everything. Whereas here, I don't feel anything. And if, if I had a lot of shots coming from that angle, I suppose I'd get used to that. But he was, he was inside my, my mind's eye. Uh -huh. It was really, it was interesting because it meant that I got cool on anything here. And sight lines didn't really matter to me. It was just... Um... And do you think it's all about uh, sort of air miles as an actor? Do you think it's all about... For me, it is. For me, well... There's a distinct... I mean, if Olivier said that, I do agree with that, with him. I mean, he was very technique -y, wasn't he? And he wouldn't talk about his technique. And... Yeah, I mean, the stories are great, aren't they? Apocryphal or not with Olivier. You know, you were brilliant, I know, but I just don't know why he'd say things like that, you know? <laughs> which are great things to... Well, say. no, well, <laughs> I would agree. He said I'd agree with that. When, if I do something really good, I don't know quite, except I've just leaned, leant back into it rather than pushed forward into it. If you push forward, try, try to be really yeah. good, it doesn't work. Whereas if you just let it go and fall backwards, it... Um... But to fall back on something, you have to have a foundation. Yeah. And to have a foundation, you have to have experience. Yeah. And that's it. You can't... It's the chicken and the egg thing. Yeah. And you can't get that experience. You, you've just... This is what I say to young people. You've just got to do a lot of it. Do 100 gigs. Do a hundred minutes on film, do a hundred minutes on stage, you know, whatever it is. Well, actually, that's that's one hundred gigs is a lot longer than that. So it's about, yeah, just just do it and do it and do it. And the more you do it, the easier it gets, and yeah. then you can. Um, I know. I, I like it was Picasso and the Dove of Peace, isn't it? Really, they sold the Dove of Peace for for a million pounds. Apparently, they took him fifteen minutes to paint. And they said, not bad, Pablo, you know, a million pounds for 15 minutes' work. And he said, no, it was a million pounds for 35 years' work. And the idea that, you know, it takes that long to get that relaxed, that sort of complete. But taking you back to, so you've broken into Pinewood. Yeah. You're going to become an actor. You yeah. then, the, the decisions that you make, what, can, can we just build that picture? Because obviously we're hugely successful playing Long John Silver opposite Elijah Wood, you know. There's a, the, your story is cinematic. I would say the Eddie Izzard story is cinematic. Well, yeah, live life as a film. That's, yeah. That is the other way to, if you're not going to get all the roles you want, then leave your life as a really interesting film so that people can do it. Um, so we can say Emmy wins and Toei nominations and, you know, um, Batters and film and theatre, but just just to paint that picture, sort of you are a student. Yeah, I well, I you see, I, I dumped drama at, at about as I hit my teenage years, uh, being a smaller person, I wasn't getting the roles. Okay. Um, uh, lacking sexual self confidence, which is needed to, um, I, I, I suppose, is needed to uh, to do a good dramatic. These are decisions role. you're making when you're yeah, 15. Yeah, this is what... With, yeah, with, okay. with, I, I was probably in, uh, instinctively doing them rather than analytically doing them right. at stage. But I thought... I, I actually dumped drama at about 13 and said, I'm going to do comedy, even though I'm still breaking into films later on. Maybe I, st I was thinking I'm doing going to do... Monty Python was doing films by then. Um, uh, but I still, in my mind, had the idea, could I do that? Could I go to drama school? I, I did get out of school. I was in school at Eastbourne, and I did get out of school to do, uh, to go and audition for the National Youth Theatre in London. 
during term time. I was at a boarding school after my mum died here. We went to boarding schools for 12 years. So you weren't allowed to leave school, but I actually left school and the town and went to London and auditioned and came back before they'd noticed. Um, uh, and I did a Shakespeare, uh, I learned a Shakespeare uh, uh, monologue and uh, a, um, I'm waiting for Godot monologue and um, Sam Beckett. So I had these two things which, which I'd learned and I got it all worked out. I worked out the times I could get out, no one would know. I was about 17 at this point, so you had a bit more leeway that no one was checking you in and out. Right. And I worked out, I could get away, got all the way to London. I got very relaxed, you know you need to be relaxed, cool, in the zone. I, but all this energy to keep everything cool. And my memory was pretty good for remembering lines. But by the time I got into the, 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 this office where I was going to audition, um, I had blown, somehow I had, the, the, all the energy used on, on the confidence of being relaxed had blown my memory away. It had actually put a block in front of the memory, so I couldn't remember You were just a, a, a relaxed 17-year-old standing Yeah, in the I was room. there, standing there, he says, okay, do your first speech. And I went, I went, ooh, uh, there's a man, um, ooh, um, hmm. And I couldn't think of, I couldn't get any of the words out. I, I just couldn't think of it. Uh, it's the uh, Henry IV part one, that soliloquy, soliloquy, soliloquy. Um, I, I, I think it is Hotspur, but it's, it's the bit where he says, I'm going to, they, they think I'm an idiot and a drunkard, but in fact, I'm gonna watch and bide my time. And, okay. um, and it's a great little speech, but couldn't get it out of my brain. And then I went to, um, uh, well, he said, we'll do the second one. And I couldn't get that one out. And I'd, I'd already tried them in the train. I knew they were there, but I'd covered, somehow I'd put a whole wall over it. So I did an audition of no audition, no words. I think I would like to have thought at the end of it that I turned to him and said, so what do you think? <laughs> and he said, you didn't say anything. Apart from not saying anything. <laughs> yeah, it looks great. <laughs> but my travel arrangements were pretty good, weren't they? Yeah, so, so yeah, that didn't work. That was National Youth Theatre. National Youth Theatre. So in, in the end, that, that put the nail on the coffin. thought, okay, I'm not doing that. And I, I'll just try and go to Cambridge University and get in the footlights. Okay. And then I thought, no, I'm not working hard enough because I'd stop working at A-levels because I thought that was kind of cool not to work. I was just working and getting O-levels and I thought, that's not very cool. Girls don't find that terribly interesting. And so uh, I dumped work. Right. And I thought, I just won't work at all and then I'll be cool because I'm a rebel. And uh, no, they just thought I wasn't working and I wasn't rebellious. But you were distracted because you were chasing... I mean, the reason you went to university was to become an actor, essentially, wasn't yes, it? Yes, I, well, I was, you know? I, was, I was definitely going, I had to do some course there. My dad wanted me to go to university, I only wanted my brother to go to university. He never did, so there was an idea, you have to go and do something. Okay, I'll do accounting and financial management with mathematics at Sheffield University. Mm -hmm. I chose a northern university. And I went there, uh, but not to do that. I went there to just do show after show after show and go to Edinburgh Festival. That was the thing. If I couldn't get to Cambridge and do the footlights, I'll go to Edinburgh Festival. But no one was going to the Edinburgh Festival from Sheffield. So <laughs> instead, I just um, took my own shows up there when I was uh, 19, 20 and 21. And there's a phrase you said when you've discovered Monty Python, that you, the idea of creating your own destiny, creating your own roles. Well, there was an idea that if you set the thing up yourself, you can do personal ne nepotism. Personal nepotism. Which personal nepotism, yeah. which is set your own thing up and then give yourself a big chunky roll. Yeah, um, which is great. Which is, I think, the way forward. It's, you know, if, you, if no one's going to put you in anything, then yeah. you better put yourself in something. I love it. Personal nepotism, we should all do that. And, and also, I encourage you to watch um, the documentary Believe, um, which is a documentary about Eddie's life and career, and it's inspiring because what you feel that it's believed because it's, you, you, it's all about self-belief and determination, isn't it? You're a great believer in that, the idea that you can do it. Yeah. There got, is a way. You have There's to believe that you can do it, otherwise you won't be able to do it. That, yeah. that is a key thing, it's a key element of it which, which comes out. If, uh, and when did that land with you? So the young Eddie Izzard is going to become... Well, see, I, I, I felt I could do uh, sketch comedy, so I dumped drama and I was, I was at university doing sketch comedy and uh, I felt I could do that. I just felt that was something I could naturally do. I felt I could put on voices and play very much Python-esque. 
Um, um, oh, I don't know why I'm doing it. Well, you think, I think you should be, well, I don't really want to do it. Yeah, well, you must do that because I'm the king of Bavaria. Oh, how is Bavaria? <laughs> yeah, it's very good. And I just thought I, I seem to be able to do voices and I can jump between these things. So I will play these characters. That seemed to come naturally. And then, uh, um, then I went into street performing because sketch comedy was going nowhere. And street performing, I, I couldn't do it. And then, um, then I gradually went solo. I got a little bit better at it. Then I started doing escape shows, and I couldn't escape. And this is where a friend. Well, <laughs> the, 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 the escapologist who couldn't escape. Yes, because there's the thing about escapology. It's, some of it's not that hard. And some of it's very hard. Yeah. And one day somebody tied me up in, in, the, in the hard way, um, <laughs> which I didn't which know. Which is the worst kind of way. Yes, yeah. and, uh, and I couldn't get out. And this, this colleague said to me, Paul Keane, he said, you've got to believe you can get out, otherwise you won't be able to get out. And, wow. and this was the thing. And next time I did it, I used that thought. I thought, I will get out, will get out, will get out. And, and I did. But that was just about escapology. But it actually applies to anything. You've got to believe you can do this. You've got to believe you can, you've got to believe you can make a film before you can make a film, um, be a, run 27 marathons, whatever it is, mm. um, get, get away, not fall over in high heels. All these things, you've just got to believe that you can do them before you can do them. Um, and it's a sort of life lesson. I mean, the comedy, uh, sort of, it's a spectrum you've gone. When you, you sort of, the idea of going from college to street performing, cut to selling out the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. I mean, I don't think many comedian, is, is it you and Chaplin who've probably traveled as far? I mean, it's quite a, a remarkable, Thing. Is that something you set your eyes on? Your eyes, you know, do you, did you go, I'm going to want to play, I want to do the impossible? I well, wanna... when I was young, I did think I could do something that could work around the world. And then it just didn't work. Not only did it not work around the world, it just didn't work anywhere. I couldn't get it working anywhere. I just couldn't get it working. I couldn't get off the ground. So, which is a bit like early American space flight, kept going. <laughs> <laughs> So they kept saying, hey, this one, ah, oh, that one doesn't work. Oh, this one, this one doesn't work. Um, so uh, it, it, I, I just had this thought. And, and the weird thing is it seems kind of crazy in a way that you're holding on to a little bit of idea wrapped up in your head that you say, I think I can do this. But everything is shut. It seems to be telling you you can't do it. And that's quite hard to hold on to yeah. and to keep pushing. So, but I did that, and, uh, and then I was trying to get somewhere as fast as possible, and then I spun that round. So I was trying to say, look, I do, can I get this, can I have a, you know, I just, yes, I can do it. Well, what's your work like? Well, I, I wrote this in a week, and it was all, do, it's a bit all from a bit slapdash to very slapdash. Um, if things worked, it had a lot of chutzpah in it right. and energy, but not, not great work. My brother used to just say, yeah, it's not very good, is it? He's kept saying things like that. They do that, don't they? Siblings? Yeah. Yeah. So in the end, I worked out. Oh, maybe I shouldn't get somewhere as fast as possible. Who actually goes and sees someone saying this thing? It's kind of rubbish, and it was written in a week, but they it was made very fast. So <laughs> let's let's yeah. go and watch. I really think you'd like that. And, and conversely, no one actually goes. This has taken ten years to make. It's fantastic, but it's a long time to make something. So who cares? Let's not watch it because even though it's wonderful. Uh, it took such a long time to make, we're going to discount it. So the time doesn't matter, it's how good it is. And so that was obvious. your first film role was? First role was, was um, with Paul Greengrass, actually. Um, he gave me a small role in a thing called Open Fire. Wow. About uh, a criminal who was uh, transgender, it seems. I don't know what's that all about. <laughs> but, um, but nothing to do with me, I wasn't, that wasn't my role. That's Rupert, Rupert Graves was playing that. I just happened to be in a film yeah. where this guy kept throwing on a skirt and heels and, <laughs> and doing hold-ups. I don't know if they, I don't think they sort of crossed over. But yeah, I just played a guy in that. But I, but I, I got a dramatic, a separate agent to my comedy agent, and said I wanted to um, do things that were just dramas. This was the weird thing. So I actually doubled down, poker-wise. Mm -hmm. Anyone knows poker? Yeah. Um, I, not in the logic. If, I, I think with poker, it's, it's if your cards are kind of low, then you double down. Is that correct? I think you double down on it. 
No one plays poker. Okay. Um, you know what? They're, they're all poker faced. Two fours, two eight, four and a five, something like that. You can double down, and uh, and then you you run two uh, hands of cards. I'm the clue. I'm eight. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I this is it. But that's what but I. But the did. idea is you create you created you split yourself in two a parallel yeah, I had a universe. Separate yeah. uh, agents. Um, and I said, right, the comedy is taking off. I can feel it taking off. And I'm now I'm going to start doing the drama, which is kind of bonkers. But I'm Why? Gonna because uh, it just took so... I thought the comedy would take off much earlier. I thought by 25 I'd have a TV series. And so when at, 20, you know, when at 24 and a half it wasn't working, I'd change my plans if I was going to get somewhere as slow as possible. But then by the time things started taking off at 30, I thought, OK, screw this, I'm going to go... And, and double down and split it open and I'll push both up. I'll, try, I'll slow this one down. I'll actually slow the comedy down because it's taking off, but I'm going to throttle down on... So by then you're playing... Uh, uh, by that time I was, play, I was touring outside London. What was I doing? It was, I would play the West End. I was playing okay. the West End. I'd, I'd done... I got uh, with my agent, Nikki Van Gelder, who I'm still with, um, at Conway Van Gelder Grant, and she uh, I went and saw her and two other agents around London who were good agents, uh, but I saw them after I'd played the West End. And, um, and I went with uh, Nikki and I just said, I, I just want to do dramatic roles. So it's an odd thing to do, but I, I do th these odd things occasionally. Yeah. No, but the idea is, is that you like a challenge. There's something... You, it seems like you never arrive. No, it's, you you it's get to... You, 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 you find another mountain to climb, you well, find another challenge. It looks like I'm just adding on challenges. It's not that, actually. It's just that there's a few things I wanted to do and it took so bloody long to get anywhere that I thought I'd do them all. Um, um, it, it really is, I'm can. not. Because if you think, because it does look a bit like, I, and I'll do this, and now I'm going to uh, juggle soup. That's my next thing. And, and I'm not, actually. There's only a few things I wanted to do, and I'm now doing those few things, I think. Um. And that conversation, so you, Paul Greengrass, obviously Paul Greengrass has gone on to make huge movies, mm. mega movies. Was that, had he seen you do your comedy or has it been? I don't know actually, I don't know why he gave me this role. I think it was a smaller role, it wasn't that, he must have probably seen uh, something or heard of something that I was doing and just thought, well, I can give him a small role. That might be quite fun or something. It wasn't a pivotal thing. Right. So it was a, uh, the guy who ran a nightclub. And then you, um, later on you played Charlie Chaplin in, the, yes. in Cat's Meow. That was Cat's Meow. That was Peter Bogdanovich. And uh, I think he quite liked the idea of an English community. I suppose the British, you know, because the Americans tend to block everything to English. But I was English and I was playing an English. And I was an English comedian and I was playing, going to play an English comedian. Um, he was more of a physical guy. I don't think he knew that, in fact, the street performing work that I did was very close to what Chaplin did. Um, some of the beginning work yeah. that you begin at every show with, but, but what Chaplin was brilliant at was not what I was good at. And what he couldn't do was the verbal dexterity. In his later films, he started talking, and he didn't have... He, he'd never developed the voice. Mm -hmm. He didn't know quite what to do with it or because you could hear him um, speak. Well, I suppose it's from the great dictator onwards. So what did it feel like? All of a sudden you asked to play Charlie Chaplin. Is that a sense of responsibility, or do you just see it as another No, that, role, was, or that wasn't a worry. I, I'd already researched Chaplin, because um, his birthday, 1899, was his birthday, and I was a street performer. That was my last year of street performing. So I'd already looked him up and researched him, and I couldn't work out why he didn't really make me laugh. Um, I went to a cinema to see his films and they did make me laugh, so I thought, okay, it's the medium is important. And I'd forgotten that when films were invented, um, there was not even radio, right. so they were competing against nothing. Mm -hmm. So whatever editing they did was just bonus. They didn't even have to do editing, necessarily. A train but, coming into a station. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it was like, oh my God, it's a moving image. That is amazing. Oh, there's a bit of editing in there. Oh, that works, you yeah. um, all that cr cross-editing, you know, there's this time D.W. Griffith, him, moving ideas forward. See, there were some directors who were actually just thinking about it, and he could put all that time into it. So I found what he did fascinating. Mm -hmm. Coming from Kennington, I used to get a, the, the bus in to go and street perform from Sh Streatham in past Kennington, where uh, his house, where he, where he lived, was when he was young. 
Um, so I found that all very interesting. <coughs> and I found, and I thought, I'll just, i play him as the human being. This is not about him as the performer. This is him, the human being, so I'll just do that. Now, how do you, so, if you double down, which I've just learned what double down is, the idea is, do you treat the process different? Do you have a different process as an actor and as a comedian? I didn't have any process. I mean, my, uh, as an actor, as a comedian, I developed an instinctive process that's... Because you talked about inhabiting, you talk about relaxation, which are all kind of processes um, for people. Are they just yes. things you, you worked out yourself from? Yeah, there's things I worked out, and I also mm -hmm. heard people talk about things and read... Um, um, Angelica Houston said, prepare, 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 then let go. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I had those words in front of me, and I thought, okay, but I didn't know quite what that meant. And then eventually I found out when I started letting go, and I went, oh, okay. I think I understand that. that that's me letting go there. Um, so, and then... I understood that, and I might have prepared somewhat or prepared more. I just didn't know how to prepare and I didn't know how to let go initially. But I just, what I did know was that I had some comedy muscles and I didn't want to use them. So I switched all of them off. Right. Which is really weird. It's a bit like. Why? Why did you. Well, because I knew that I think comedians, I, some people say stand up comedians make good dramatic actors. I really don't think they do. I think the majority don't. But I think the bottom line of comedy is to be funny, bottom line of dramas to be truthful and uh, if you don't work that out that's quite difficult to work out and uh, if you don't work it out you as a comedian will go into a drama and they'll say I love you and you'll go <laughs> and then you go well that's you know that's gone silly whereas you need to just channel channel the do you love them are you loving them back it must be very hard to fight instinct and Well, if you switch them off, it's fine. But the trouble is, you don't, I didn't have anything on. Mm -hmm. It's like a, on the grill, whenever <laughs> I was cooking, I switched all of the grill that I worked out, the back grills, down to zero. And so there was nothing actually cooking. And it, my initial filmed work was, was me saying some words and, uh, and pointing at things. But you loved to disappear into a character. No, I wouldn't. You feel I do? Well, I don't. I've I, done a film with you, and you spoke Scottish for a month. I know, but that wasn't me. Because that even well, when we went for sushi. Yeah, no, but that's just that was the technique on the accent. I do like that idea of the accent that uh, it was playing Sir Robert Watson. What that if you lock yourself into the accent? Because initially it wasn't landing perfectly, but uh, um, the, the I, I've, I found that I did this with American before. Um, when I was doing the, the, the riches, but to, to, to get really relaxed with it, you just want to be doing it 24-7. And I, I realized people were doing this and, and heard about them doing it, and I saw clips of people doing that, and I thought, ah, that, that actually makes sense. That seems like a good technique. Just do it 24-7, so you get up in the morning and say, good morning, can I get something on the room service? Thank you. Is, is my taxi here? And, <laughs> and just learning to, to have it locked down. And, but there's always one sound. It's, I don't know whether it's always true, but in most accents I do. People have a gateway word that helps There's them. a gateway word in, but there's also yeah. usually one sound that trips you up. And for, for the, the educated Dundee, where I put um, um, Sir Robert Watson, what, that was, that was out. Out's very difficult to say for an English person because you tend to go out, which is the more English, or you go oot, because <laughs> you think they'll go oot in the boot with the big... Fat clute. There's no such thing as But you would work closely with your voice coach. It, yes. mean, it, mean, it means a lot to you. This, so you're developing your own process. Yes, so I've developed a process that has been, from what I've heard other people doing process, I didn't go to drama school, I did accounting, you know. So, um, so from my accounting and financial management training, I've worked <laughs> out. <laughs> I went to drama school, I wish I'd done accounting. <laughs> Well, I've worked out that, yeah, that, uh, that you need to have, that I have got processes now. I've got a process for, for that, I, that I had for sketch comedy, that was instinctive, street performing, that was instinctive, with a lot of analytical on top, and I worked out things about it so I could articulate about it. And then stand up, yeah, I, 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 artic I did analyze that. Um, so I can analyze things now. Um, and I just analyzed the dramatic to work out how to develop it. But, I, but again, it was trial and error. It was trial and fail, trial and fail, and trial and get a bit better. Has there ever been a mentor? 
Uh, well, um, Alan Rickman was a was a theatrical mentor in the fact that I, I met him when I was still doing comedy and mm -hmm. trying to get into drama. And I said, I'm trying to get into drama because he did. He went. He knew Ruby Waxwell and went to, I think, uh, Rada with Ruby Wax. So it was a, a curious um, two people to be at Rada at the same time. And and so he came along to a benefit that she arranged at the Palladium. I was there. I did the benefit. And afterwards, we were going off to have a drink afterwards, and I, and I just told him this, because uh, I was there chatting to him, and I knew that he was a good actor. And I said, people think it's crazy, think, think this idea is crazy. And he said, well, I don't think it's crazy. Went, Thank you for saying that. I just left it at that. And then sometime later, it must have been a few months later, he, he, uh, he was offered to do another role with Lindsay Duncan. He'd done like, uh, years on Dangereux mm -hmm. with Dangerous Liaisons with um, Lindsay Duncan uh, on the stage, uh, London and Broadway. And uh, then he was offered David Mamet play with her. And he said, I don't, I can't do that. Don't want to do that. But uh, try this guy. So I was, I was rolled in to that. They said, do you want to do it? So I said, yeah. So that was, that was a, a very helpful thing he did. It's a big tragedy that he's gone. I just didn't. I know. You, as people get older, you hear about people getting ill and you think, oh, they're ill. OK, well, hopefully they'll pull through. And it's suddenly gone. I know. So that wasn't good. To lose him and David Bowie in yeah, a, few a couple days. of days was, you know, very sad. Very sad. But so the closest to a, a mentor, so not really a mentor figure, but somebody you respected who said, yeah. keep going, that's it. That's well, he, he, he just gave me that one. He, he with, threw me that. Yeah. Um, and and I said, you're my mentor man. You know, so I sort of, rather than him phoning me up and saying, make sure you don't do this, don't do that, try that, push for that. It wasn't more like that. It was more like there was one time when he did that. And um, I'm used to not having mentors. I'm used to not having okay. someone saying, I never phone people up and say, what do I do now? What do I do this? I just always make up my own uh, technique, make up my own strategy. Uh, directions. That's why I suppose there's quite a lot of eclectic things, or maybe I've been able to pull off a number of things that are quite different because um, I work out that I can do them, and then I try and go and do them. And sometimes they don't work, you know, and sometimes they do. They d they work. But how how did you ever hear it? Is there anybody you used to watch in film working and think, I want to get there. I want to do that. I want to. Um, either inspiring or well, the, the, in comedy it was all the Pythons that that they were my comedy gods. Uh, drama, I'm not sure if there was. I mean, lead character actor is where I wanted to go. So, so Dan Day Lewis probably is is at the ultimate of that. Right. But I don't tend to look at it and think oh, I can do that because there was this thing. I know about generals, bizarrely. And in the American Civil War, they were, they were all tripped out because they were all trying to be Napoleon. But you can't do that. You can only be the very best version of yourself as a general. And that applies to anything. As a race car driver, as an actor, as an astronaut, whatever. You can only do, it's, it's yourself that you have to put in there and make it so that all those elements of yourself you put into it. So, so, uh, I don't think there are any actors I actually look at and see, that is exactly what I want to do. But it is, it tends to be the ones that go from roles where they're this and then roles when they're that and roles where it's roles, it is more the acting rather than the star acting where it's the same guy turning up and saying, it's this star actor in another thing. Yeah, okay. Monkeys five. <laughs> this time they're really annoyed about something. So, so is there a pinch me moment in your career where you find yourself, I don't know, you're on set with thinking, how did I get here, or...? Ocean's 12 was kind of interesting with all the guys um, down in, down in uh, Rome. Um, it was kind of wonderful, because I was in Rome and filming, and then we, uh, I had a very small role, only two or three scenes. I think it ended up with only two scenes in the film. Uh, but um, it was down there, and it was a big old film. And so it felt great to be there. They, they welcomed me in as a cameo player as opposed to a bit part player, which is interesting because... The difference being? Uh, the cameo being is, is a, 
is a usually a big star who comes yeah. in as a very small role. Um, um, and uh, a bit player would be someone who's just doing a very small role. Um, <laughs> so, who is, can you go away now? We're gonna go. And so they, every night there was the top floor of the Darussi Hotel, which is an open, you know, open to the skies. And it's, what was it, June? It was, it was actually the time of the Euro, so it was this time, it was this month um, in, uh, in Rome uh, for two weeks. And the weather is very Romish. And uh, and you go up and they'd say, "Would you like a drink?" And say, "I, I, I, some of that, with a bit of that, you know, you just whatever you could think of." And this was all just free. And then, what would you like to eat? Um, do you have any elephant with <laughs> slice of mango? You, you just make it up. We, have no, we have no mango. <laughs> right out of mango, fresh out of mango, mate. Can't fit. No elephant. Not 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 good elephant. Sort of herb before elephant. And like just soup with it guitar it was just it was weird and then the sun would go down and, and everyone would gamble uh, and play poker uh, but you would feel like I'm here there's Brad Pitt George Clooney Matt Damon yeah. Steve Soderbergh and you think all playing cards set George wouldn't play because he was uh, unlucky at cards he said and Matt Damon wouldn't play because he was too good um, uh, but we play poker we play Texas Hold'em and uh, and the, the curious thing was, uh, it, it was beautiful to be there, and they were very welcoming and very nice. Um, but I only had a couple of scenes, and I, and, I, and I felt like I'd got to base camp on Everest. And they were all going, oh, we're just going to go up the mountain now. Right, <laughs> go up the mountain. It's great being a mountaineer. Yeah, yeah, I've got to live down. Base camp, yeah. <laughs> we'll go up, we'll go and put a flag up. And we'll see the top of the world, top of the world up there, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, do this. I'll move things around here. And, uh, <laughs> it's a bit dirty. I'll do some... <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> base camp. Uh, great. So I felt I was at base camp. And, uh, uh, which, no, they, they, were, they were just very nice. And, uh, but your, your, your improvisation, your love, you also have this love for improvisation, the trusting of improvisation, the never saying no. You love those qualities of improv. In comedy, I haven't done it in drama, really. In, but going from that like moment, this. did you ever feel restricted as an actor? You know, and uh, initially, yes, and some people said, "Look, you're better at this thing." No, I mean, so restricted by not being able to let fly, let yeah, your imagination. I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, uh, initially, I think I did, but then I worked out how. I've, I, I have this. I, I have this theory that we can all, as humans, become as good as as we want to be at almost anything. Like World War Two, if we take a people from democratic countries, we're not planning to it. They volunteered to go and do things, and they became good at them. Not all of them, but if they wanted to, they became really good at things that they'd not planned to do uh, by just applying themselves and applying themselves. All of us, we start off as shy children, and then if we work at it, we become better at social. Abilities to be able to, um, to you know, talk or uh, I'll, maybe I'll make a joke. Maybe I'll be funny. Yeah. You know, so I that that's you build what that I, confidence, that emotional literacy, and yeah. just through time so, and experience. so I worked that I could do worked out I could do that dramatically. I wanted to do it. I knew that I could do stuff comedically. That even though I, I don't normally do it in front of a screen, I could do it something that punched out from the. The stage. I could do a comedic thing, which would boom, which would. Yeah. I worked out how to do that, mainly instinctively with with a certain amount of analysis, because I was applying analysis. It's stand up. I could not do stand up comedy to save my life. So I really did analyze how to work that to happen, how to get that to happen. Um, but with the drama, to, to us, our brains flip out when you say that because we go yes or yes. We, no, we've seen you be the most successful British stand up. The but only, I really the only, not, yes, I the could. only British stand up to have the success in America that nobody has ever had that um, but you that you're saying that's just pure that's analysis that, yeah that was an, that was analysis and um, I don't believe you <laughs> no it's I know it's hard it, to believe isn't it no well it would be hard to believe but it was my third medium of comedy and I it's the street performing that was key the street performing I was so bad at the street performing I, I lost all my confidence mm. as a street performer and then I worked out 
uh, I gradually realized I was developing an ability to street perform and this confidence was coming from the gut and you had to do physical situation comedy is how I define it. I mean, I, I, I analyze things down into a, um, a set of rules um, that I've not had lots of people do. I mean, I'll endlessly analyze it, but I have no one really to impart it to, so I, I know this stuff. Like, I know how to do street theater, and no, I don't think most, and I know pretty much most street theater companies don't know how to do it. If, anyone, if anyone's from a theater company and they go and do it, say, let's mm. do it on the street, we'll perform to people standing around. And there's a whole, you know, maybe there's a summer fair or a, it's an Edinburgh Fringe or something, and there's gonna be lots of people around, we'll do this thing and it'll work. It will not work because they don't understand how the realities are changing between the audience and themselves. And I worked out what they needed to do. And I haven't even done it, but I know what they need to do. I'm pretty sure that that's a really weird thing, which is um, if you're a street, normally if you, if you do a theater in, inside like a room like this, everyone's focused on it. And you could say, I am the king and we, we, my daughter has died. I will find these people. I will kill these people and you will help me. And, 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 and you will do that. And, and, Anyway, so it, it, you can talk in the space and everyone's watching you. But on the street, if you do that, if you just say those lines and people are milling around, some of them watching, some of them not, they'll just, they'll just drift off. And what you actually have to do is you have to pull them in. You actually have to pull them in and say, I'm the king, I'm the, I'm the king, all right? Everyone bloody pay attention. You people, come on, stop looking at tr your trousers. I'm the king. And I mean, it only works with comedy. I don't know quite how to make it dramatically work. You have to well, you say that, but you did make it dramatically work because on the street, no. No, but in, you play in the day of the death of Joe Egg. But that was in the theatre. That was in the theatre. In the theatre. That was using improvisation. In and a, there was an improvisational moment. That, that, but that was a different thing. That was doing. That was when I was going improvising from comedy into in series a dramatic role. and then back. But I'm saying actually using the energy of the street. That's a whole different thing. But yes, what? But you don't think that street informed oh, what yes. you did there? Oh yes, absolutely. Well. Yeah. Um, uh, it, so Eddie it, it, did Dead and Death of Joe Egg, he played on Broadway, he was nominated for a Tony, and the other actors nominated in the same category were... Oh, uh, well, Stanley Tucci and... Um, and um, Philip Seymour, Seymour Hoffman. Hoffman. They, they both didn't get it. Brian Danner, he got it, but actually, I won all the other awards. <laughs> this is the thing. I won everything. I won the Drama Desk, I won the other Critics Circle, won the Broadway.com award, and, and even my agent back in London was saying, you've got the Tony as well, so you've got them all. Uh, everyone's saying it. So, and I went there and I didn't get it, uh, which is fine. And Brian Denner, he's got my Tony Award. But, <laughs> but the point was, I got up, when I got up, and, and I didn't win it, and I looked at Stanley Tucci, who also was up for the same one and didn't win it, and, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I thought, oh, this is a nice group to be in. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty much making it. So I so thought, it's interesting that you so run I made these, a joke then. But you run those parallels then. I've got to tell them a joke. Tell the joke. So I got up and I looked at them, they, I'd not won it, Stanley hadn't won it, and, uh, and Philip Seymour Hoffman hadn't won it. So I, I thought we've got to say something because everyone was going. <laughs> so I said, um, I thought we get one each. <laughs> and they went, yes. <laughs> so that seemed to be the right thing to say. But, but, you, but you, you run these careers in parallel, but yet yeah. they seem to feed into each other, you know? And like people are drawing inspiration, which is, I, I text a few people that uh, you've worked with you and, and our friends and see messages that came back and I uh, I texted what, what an idiot I sound like but uh, Jean Reno oh. and Jean Reno said uh, I told him we were doing this event tonight and he said tell him that I love him tell him that he is one of the most original stand-up comedians that I have ever seen the way he sees men and women through his eyes it is for me not only hilarious but essential Eddie is the essential stand-up. Big kisses to him. That's very nice. It's beautiful, isn't it? Mm. Beautiful. And that's... But the acting shit? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I care about. I love that. I so love that's that. that's negative. Yeah. But is that you, then? Is that you where you what? go, that's wonderful, what about this? Yeah, yeah, about no, that? It, it tends to be. And if I get the acting going good, I'll say, what about the running? <laughs> yeah. What about... You, the, you didn't like my shoes. What about me, as a, me <laughs> yeah. as a pilot? Me as a pilot, but... Um, and so, we are... I'm going to open up and ask some questions now. Um, the, so we have the comedian, the street performer, the movie actor, the character actor, the leading man, and then you're into this new chapter, which is 
screenwriter. Oh, yeah. And, um, and that is, oh, yeah. And that is something that you've, is one of the things. Personal nepotism. I love stories. I love making stories. I didn't want to write a story until, you know, I wrote it with, with yourself. Uh, I didn't want to write rubbish, because I know that some people say, hey, I'll write a thing, and people go, this is rubbish. Um, so I waited rather longer than I wanted to to write it, but then I was doing other things. But uh, yeah, so we've written Six Minutes to Midnight and... Uh, but it's a story that you... It's just an extension of your work, isn't it, in terms of... Well, if you work at the centre of your creativity, you should be able to uh, head off in all different directions. When you're a kid, we, the, you're sitting in the centre of your creativity because you haven't developed anything. And if you can actually track yourself back to the childlike creative person, you should be able to come back out down any strand that you want. Because when you were there, you were painting pictures, you were doing this, and you were they'd say, make, make something out of, out of string and sellotape. So you'd make some, you, so you were doing all the, we were all doing all these things. And then people said, no, you, you can't, you've got to concentrate on one, or you're not very good at that, mm. or whatever it was. And so we just went down and did one, or did none of them, if they were creative. And I've just, I've just decided, I've, I worked out where the center of my creativity was. I backtracked somehow. Um, due to a lot of failure, and uh, and and, I, and so that's uh, I, I knew that uh, I, I needed to be able to write something that was dramatically correct rather than comedically right. Again, yeah, I didn't want to say, hey, you know, you're doing a drama, and suddenly he pulls a big face and runs off and hits him with a haddock, and <laughs> you know, that's not what I wanted to write. You should have put that in it. So that's no, that's brilliant. No, no, but I know what you mean. You, you you want what it seems to be like is that not only do you want. It's not about having a go, it's about yeah. fully exploring the extent of it. Isn't that right? Yeah, so there was a jack of all trades, master of none, and saying, why not master of a few trades? Yeah, the, jack which, of a few which, trades, great at them all. No, yeah, <laughs> it's, don't do any jacks on trades, just do, uh, try and get pretty good at some of them. And there's no, there's no real saying for that. No, no, we, can, we can write it. He was not a jack. <laughs> he, was a, he was pretty good at something, that one. I did okay with that film. Yeah. yeah, so... There is a load to talk about, but uh, we have some questions, and I know we're going to be running out of time very soon. But um, does anybody have a question for Eddie? Yes, a gentleman. Oh, some gardener from North. Hi. Um, I was just following something you said. I was at the um, National Theatre in the Acton Museum. National Theatre? In the Acton Museum. Oh, right. As an actor. Yeah. But yeah, you explained to them that you were an actor, and you said you were giving yourself roles in your own film, and they they they, they all felt it was disgusting, or one. I I I wouldn't let that one in, mate. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You, it's very easy. You just say, and I'm looking for another actor, and they go, oh, that's a great one. <laughs> I'm yeah. Completely available, <laughs> you know, and it changes it. Yeah, no, that that's I, that seems a very odd response. Um, I've heard it used in, in other ways about other things, but if you're setting the bloody thing up yourself, no, go for it. I mean, because it, it's, it's too hard. Things are too hard. That's, I mean, isn't it Matt Damon and, and, uh, and Thingy went and wrote uh, Goodwill yeah. Dingle? Goodwill Dingle. Goodwill yeah. Dingle. <laughs> yeah. And they wrote that for themselves, wrote parts for themselves. I mean, you know, that's, that's um, no, so, that, that, so they're wrong. <laughs> Hey, you'll be fine, mate. You'll be fine. Just keep going. Don't yeah. Yes. Hello. Hiya. Hello. Could you tell us about any memories you have of filming the Revengers tragedy? And did you struggle with the language? Um, did I struggle with the language? I didn't seem to. I'd already done Christopher Marlowe's uh, Edward II. Um, and 
so, and I was more confident with my diction. I am dyslexic, but, um, and I didn't like Shakespeare at school, but I did actually begin to appreciate Shakespeare through, even though this wasn't Shakespeare, this is more Jacobean, um, but through uh, uh, Polanski's Macbeth, which I realized was a dark action thriller, double-bladed axe in the back of back, ka-ching, <laughs> kind of like this. Um, it was, so I, I thought, okay, there's stories, there's stories, that's right. So don't get so caught up with the, with the language and the, the way it was taught. And now they do, they tend to do Shakespeare much more in a way that I, I appreciate, where you, you, can, you can hear the meaning through it and then you can appreciate the poetry on, on the back foot rather than uh, the other way around. So, um, uh, so yeah, it was all shot up in Liverpool. It, I, I had a great time doing it. Alex Cox directing. Um, uh, so we were running around lots of different Liverpool uh, locations. And uh, yeah, I found it uh, good to do. Uh, it was uh, weird and odd and uh, and freaky, a lot of death, and um, yeah. So I've I've had I've enjoyed nearly all films I've done. There's only one that I didn't have such a good time on, um, but I think all the others I I just sorry. Well, I had a, I won't tell you which one it was, but uh, I, I I was uh, the atmosphere on the set wasn't great. So even though it was a, actually quite a fun story to do. Everyone was a little bit uptight, and everyone was a bit shouty and screamy, and so that wasn't that wasn't much fun. Um, but all the others, it wasn't uh, the French Western you did. No, the French Western was great. Uh, that was three months in in on horses in in Mexico, and then a month in uh, in Almeria, Spain, on, on horses, different horses, yeah. different size horses. But I learned to to ride. Like in a French Western, you called it a. Yes, it was a French Western, so I called it a baguette Western. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a, a, another question? Yes, hello. Hi, Eddie. Um, a friend of mine um, went to see one of your shows in Cardiff recently. She's a big fan, and the English language show is sold out. So she decided that her A-level French would get her through, and she went to the French language version. Amazing. Um, and I was just wondering, how easily does your brand of comedy translate into other languages? Have you ever completely on stage in French. No, it, it, it is, it, it, it translates totally easily because, uh, well, there's two things. One, uh, mainstream France doesn't get me, mainstream Germany doesn't get me, mainstream Russia won't get me, mainstream Mandarin China won't get me. <laughs> I have to play to an alternative audience. So that is the key thing. It's like um, there's alternative musicians and mainstream <coughs> musicians, um, more discordant music coming from the alternative musicians. Uh, but, Fringe theatre compared to a mainstream musical, say, or uh, a more alternative film compared to a mainstream film. So you've got to line up the audience right. And the second thing I do is that um, it, all comedy transfers, but the references do not transfer. So it's not the sense of humours that are different, it's the, it's the references. So if you're referencing a lot of brand names, uh, famous people from Britain, say, um, place names, blah, 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 and then you go to France, they go, I don't know those brand names, I don't know those famous British people, which are not known in France, I don't know those place names, and so they can't react to them. They can react to them if you set them up and say, like, um, I mean, it, when, when I saw if I start playing human sacrifice. Well, actually, I can show you. Uh, well, there's, there's one joke that this is the one I use in, in three languages. Um, I had this joke that says, Caesar, did he ever think he'd end up as a salad? And because he was a crazy fighting idiot. But anyway, but he ended up as a salad, so he's a salad. And so in English, people go, that's quite nice. And then French, Caesar, est-ce qu'il a jamais imaginé, did he ever imagine, qu'un jour il finirait en salade? And they laugh at the same point. And then in German, even though the past section of verb is at the end of the sentence, not a noun, it still works. Caesar had a Jägerdach. Did he ever think that's er einmal that he one time als Salat enden würde, as Salat end up would have? And they still laugh because the verb comes so closely behind the noun. I thought you'd have to restructure it, but because they go, as Salat end up would have, and they go, ah, Salat end up would have. <laughs> and it's the same point. You don't have to push for it. But um, mainstream audiences won't understand where I'm going with this stuff. And I actually had my most toughest audience was in London not that long ago, mainstream uh, TV show, and the audience sort of 
stared at me and didn't quite get the whole idea. Because I was talking about Caesar and he's there and he's fighting the Battle of Elysia and, and, uh, and I said, chicken Caesar salad's now more famous than, than Caesar salad. Why? Because Caesar often worked with chickens. Uh, at the Battle of Elysia, his most famous battle, which is a real battle. And then I have Caesar going, I've got Vercingetrix, he's in his hilltop forces, what do I do now? Mark, Mark Antony, and Mark Antony's going, <laughs> so, uh, Now this, I think, is, so I've got a silly idea, I've said that Mark Antony, who's a famous, if anyone knows a certain amount about stuff, uh, they may not know about the Battle of Elysia, but this is a real battle I took, and I made him a chicken, and he's giving advice, he said, I should build a fortified wall around the base of the fortress and trap Vercingetrix in his hilltop fortress. <laughs> and then, and this, and I think this is beautiful stuff because it's so silly, but actually it's true because, and I go through, and I, in the end, the chicken is saying, build a second wall. <laughs> um, and he says, but that will give us sort of like a corridor path. Corridor path. So, <laughs> so now to do all that, so that, yeah, so it works. Um, but not everyone gets it, so mainstream France will not dig it. Mainstream, mainstream um, uh, Liechtenstein will not get this. Mainstream Russia won't get it, but alternative Russia. Get it. I've already played Russia, and the kids get it. This lady here. Well, I do want to do Richard III. I've always wanted to play Richard III, um, and if you can get that scene where you're chatting up. The lady who just murdered her husband. That's uh, if you can pull that one off. Yeah. Then you're cooking. You're cooking with gas. You got all the Bunsen burners on. That's sin um, pluck on sin. Sorry. Yeah. Sin pluck on sin. Yeah. Uh, don't mind really. Both. All of them. All three. Uh, and on ice. Which is the third? On three. Ice. You're going to do the three. Well, on film and stage and on ice. <laughs> so. The crutches will be difficult. <laughs> made glorious summer by the sun as you're boing. Um, I think if a ventriloquist played, this has got nothing to do with me, but if a ventriloquist played, uh, could play Shakespeare, uh, no, uh, uh, Hamlet, sorry, to do that. Alas, for York, I knew him. No, he didn't. <laughs> I didn't know. Or he never knew me. I didn't know who he was. <laughs> yeah. When he's doing the skull bit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking knew. You know, I, I've never, I've never, get back in the mouth. I don't want to get back in the mouth. There's a hole, yeah, which would totally ruin but the would whole it, play. Would it ruin? We don't know. I'm, I'm not too sure it would. No, you, you could do it in a way. What you'd have to do is you'd say, I knew him a ratio. And there was, you know, I did not, no. You don't, you, no, but then you'd be ad-libbing Shakespeare, and you can't ad-lib Shakespeare. Because <laughs> you spent, spent time on those words. I'm sure you did. I, I remember seeing Mark Rylance play rhymes. Hamlet, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't get through that soliloquy until he got a reaction from the crowd. Who so would? Mark Rylance, and he would shout to the crowd, am I a coward? And they'd look at him and say, am I a coward? And they'd just keep looking at him, and he goes, am I a coward? They'd go, no, and he'd carry on, you know? And, uh, and that was right in the globe, and you just think, you know, it's about connecting. And when I think about you, Eddie, I think about you just connecting, connecting with people, connecting with ideas, connecting us to ideas and connecting us to people. You know, it's, it's, it's whatever you do, whatever you choose to do, we are up for it and we learn more about ourselves. Would you agree? So through the choices you make. So whatever next whatever you're doing you must keep doing it ladies and gentlemen can we just please say thank you to eddie izzard and everything he's done and is going to do next let's all be a part of it <laughs> <laughs>